0: Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. And today's moment is from the Vivol soprano recitative from the Saint Matthew Passion.
1: So today we're talking about the moment of music that started this podcast. We didn't choose it for our first episode, but i like to credit this recitative, this short, little, seemingly unremarkable part of the giant St. Matthew Passion, as being something where at least I listened to it and sat there and thought, this is the kind of thing that I would love to talk about in a podcast setting. And Alex, you and I were trying to figure out what's the hook of the podcast and how can we talk about Bach in a podcast in an interesting way. And I'm crediting this little recitative as being the inspiration for the moment of Bach concept because we're thinking about this going, well, this is, it's just a short little thing. What if we just talked about short little moments in terms of how they reflect the musical whole of, a, of the bigger works of Bach. Plus, that's a really good entry point, and it's a really good way to explore little corners of Bach that we don't really think about. So the St. Matthew Passion is huge and famous, but I would say that this is not even in the top 10 most famous parts of it, wouldn't you say, Alex?
0: No. Not, it's, there's 68, depending on how you kind of slice it, there's 68 separate movements, and... I mean, some of those even have, like, sub-movements. This is number 12. And it, no, I would say most people would put, would kind of just brush by this. I mean, everything in it is so beautiful in the whole thing. But, yeah, I, I would say people would think of some of the more famous arias uh, and corral movements as being some of their favorite moments instead of this.
1: Yeah, they they would think, you'd think of the opening chorus, this giant masterwork on its own which we will certainly be talking about eventually they would think about the closing chorus they would think about all these arias all these famous chorales and even these sort of more turbulent choruses and maybe even some of the evangelist stuff but then sometimes a soloist like a soprano here is called to introduce their own aria right like they they have a recitative like this one and then they have an aria which the arias are usually more famous too in fact we use an aria from the St. Matthew Passion, one of our favorites, maybe my favorite aria ever, as our opening and closing music of this podcast. And that is certainly a piece of music that we will get to on this podcast too. So all of this is like, well, Christian, why, then why did you pick this one? And my answer my answer is because this gave me the idea that we should have a direction of this podcast that focuses on musical moments because I love especially the ending of this so much. It's short, this little recitative, this connecting movement. It fits on one page of music, even in the full score. And like we said, it's not even in the top 10 most famous parts of the St. Matthew Passion. However, it's Bach, and Bach didn't do any second-rate work. And even yeah. his even his recitatives are perfection, you know? And it's good to dig into them some sometimes. So as the thing that gave me the idea of moment it's good to explore this so christian can you briefly go over what
0: is a recitative we talked about it i know in episode two was a while ago
1: yeah we did this is a the same concept as the one we we looked at in episode two and it is basically a narrative piece of music where a soloist with some very light accompaniment gets through some text really quickly it's from opera And Bach was inspired to use recitatives in his cantatas and oratorios because he was such a fan of Italian opera. It's a very Italian erudite thing to do, to copy opera. And uh, this is an opera trope. The idea that between things, between famous solos, you have to sort of shove in some storytelling. So an aria might be where you dwell upon the fact that you're sad that you're dying or that you're in love with the girl or whatever it is. But then you have to get from point A to point B, and you have to squeeze in a whole bunch more actual exposition, and that's what a recitative is for. They tend to be less musically memorable, because they're not really melodies as such. They are musical melodies, but they tend to be very reciting, you know, that's why they're called that. And so they're just a way to get through some exposition.
0: Right, you could think of it like if you you have a favorite movie musical you like, or even just use like like a Disney movie that's a musical, because those certainly count as uh, musicals, you could think of it as like the songs that are in there are like the arias. And the stuff that's just spoken in between, in opera,
1: that would have just also been sung, but it's just like dialogue, you know? Exactly. And it's not really a song. Exactly. In an opera, you're not allowed to really speak, so everything has to be sung, and so the boring stuff can be shoved into a recitative, Yeah. and real stunning emotion can be put into the arias. And in a musical... You can speak, and uh, that's the stuff that might be recitative. Exactly right. If you were to look at a track list of the St. Matthew Passion, or the score, or a program, you would see that this movement is an arioso, and that just means that it's somewhere between a recitative and an aria. It's leaning towards recitative in my mind, but it's a little bit more melodic, and that's a term that Bach used a lot. But to put it into context for the St. Matthew Passion, what has just happened is that Jesus, a soloist who plays Jesus, has just said a line from the scripture which is at the last supper so everybody knows the painting the last supper that's when jesus christ is with his disciples and he's telling them this wine is my blood of the new covenant this bread is my body It's a very important event in terms of the series of events that lead up to his death in the Bible. And this week is Maundy Thursday, which is the week of the church year where the Last Supper is celebrated. The day after that is Good Friday. That's another reason why I picked this, and that's the reason why for two weeks now we're doing the St. Matthew Passion. Because Good Friday is arguably the most important day of the whole year for the church year, besides Easter Good Friday is when Jesus dies, and that's this Friday. So the series of events that lead up to his death include this part where he has this last meal. And then right after this last meal in the St. Matthew Passion, Bach chooses to, instead of continuing the narrative and going on with Jesus's story, he inserts a soprano soloist to give a little reflection, and that's what this is. Wie wohl mein Herz in Tränen schwimmt. The words are as follows in English. Although my heart is swimming in tears since Jesus takes leave of me, yet his testament brings me joy. His flesh and blood, O preciousness, He bequeaths to my hands. Just as in the world among his own, he could not wish them harm, just so he loves them to the end. So, if you're a composer and you're thinking about how I'm going to set this to music, like Bach, you're probably thinking that first line is very evocative, right? Although my heart is swimming in tears, and that's a good place to start. And that is indeed what Bach did. He took the idea of swimming in tears and decided the best way. To musically represent that is to launch us straight into this murky, very strange, dissonant landscape. And the first thing you hear is these strange, flowing oboes. There are a few different kinds of oboes that are called for in the St. Matthew Passion. There is the oboe, just called oboe, which we now would call a Baroque oboe, which is higher in pitch. It is the predecessor of the modern-day oboe. And then this one is called an oboe d'amour, an oboe of love. And it's named that because it's a little lower, and it has a very sweet tone, and it's very lovely. So we might be asking, what place does it have here? This is about swimming in tears. And it has to do with the role of the soprano, We have been doing this podcast just long enough now that we're starting to see some repeated themes that Bach loves to do in terms of how he likes to handle musical analogy and representation, and one of those things is that the soprano is often the surrogate for the human soul. We saw this in Alex's episode for the Vakitav cantata, right? We saw that the two main soloists there were a soprano and a bass soloist. The bass was the voice of Christ and represented Jesus and spoke as Jesus. And the soprano represented the human soul. Could also say like the church as a whole, but like the the representational union of the church and Jesus. But you could also say like the soul. And in fact, the word soul is used all the time, right? It's like my soul and Jesus almost doing like a love duet together because they are supposed to be intertwined. And that's what's happening here. There's a soprano, The soprano is the soul. And it represents hopefulness, love, tenderness. And that's why we've got oboes de mor, even though they're supposed to be swimming in tears. So the first thing we hear right off the bat is this this swimming in tears. And even looking at the score, looking at the music, you can see it go up and down and up and down like a tumultuous little storm in a lake or something. The Harmony that is occurring at this time is very unstable. It happens to be what we would call a diminished harmony. Diminished chords are very much legal in Baroque music, but what's weird about this is that it started with one. And that's just so strange. You don't start right in the middle of a crazy harmony unless you're trying to convey that you're starting like in a storm, although my heart is swimming in tears. what Bach's doing here. And he does give us one little momentary reprieve at the words, yet his testament brings my joy. We get a little bit of no more oboes in storm there before we can continue on.
2: <laughs>
1: I also love the way Bach sets the word böse, which means harm or evil. It's on a very expressive tone there. At the end of this short recitative, we have my favorite musical moment, my favorite small moment within this larger moment, and what I credit as being the idea for this podcast, which is the way she sings the last phrase of music, and especially the last word. The last line is, So liebt er sie bis an das Ende just so he loves them to the end. That is to say, Jesus loves them to the end. He loves the people of the world, his own people. We have been swimming in tears for this entire thing, and then finally, like, bright sunshine just opens up into this beautiful C major at the end and drives towards a very happy final moment, final cadence to close out the recitative in pure, bright C major
0: yeah and it's the first time we hear really kind of any major chords we we heard a couple little fleeting ones before certainly like you said it didn't start like that it started pretty angular and diminished and yeah like you say it ends with this real ray of light kind of ray of hope
1: yeah you know for for us people who don't speak german as a first language we can compare translations and get something new out of the saint matthew passion every time and that's definitely true of me because the first time listening or performing let's even say you don't catch everything especially the parts you don't sing as a member of the choir or whatever you're doing or if you're playing you might not catch the meaning you'll just think oh the music is beautiful and that's what i love about bach is because it has so much repeat value i can listen to something in german by bach and love it just because of the music and think it's brilliantly designed piece of music and then i can go again and be like oh wow he's mentioning the trinity there and that's why he uses three of this thing you know like all this numerological symbolism that bach loves or all these references that he does he hides them in it's just a gold mine every piece you know so the first time hearing this not even understanding the german the thing that i really bumped on was how she ornaments the last word end at the very end of a recitative um, in this case the word is actually end <laughs> in german you have a resolution at the end, a musical resolution. And the way this musical resolution clashes ever so slightly with the harmony under it produces a harmony that sounds very modern just for a tiny moment, and I love that. And it happens on the first syllable of the word enda, and then it resolves. But it just goes to show you that Bach was thinking through all of these things and thinking about every line separately. It's not quite how we write music these days. Nowadays, when you write music, you might write chords. Like you'd say, "Here's a, there's a C chord here and there's a G chord here. But with Bach, it was more like, here's a bass line, here's a melody. Here are roughly the chords that can be played over this bass line. Not even chords, but... Musical intervals that can be added above this bass line. Here are some separate instrumental parts. The way it all works together might produce some really, really crazy stuff momentarily, but linearly, completely logical, right? And all coming together at the end for So liebt er sie bis das Ende. All the way to the end, and finally, a resolution.
0: Yeah, and just a brilliant little downward line too. The way the soprano is singing, so he loves them to the end. The word love is high, it's on a high G, which is fairly high in a soprano range, and then the rest of that sentence just falls, falls, falls down onto the word enda. The last note is on a middle C, so it's more than an octave lower. It just uses almost the entire main part of a soprano range.
1: A very virtuosic and difficult soprano part which is being sung here.
0: It's one thing to be able to hit the high notes it's another to be able to modulate the voice into the different parts of of the voice so that you can then hit some low notes right away just right after and still sound good.
1: Yeah the thing is it sounds so natural because it's such a wonderfully written phrase but to make this really work it, it takes a lot of effort and it's very impressive. The soloists in the St. Matthew Passion um, which the Netherlands Bach Society does all the time. They're really all high quality. This soprano, who is Crete de Geiter, does a wonderful job with this, better than a lot of recordings I've heard and performances and so on. I'm, I'm sure I'd, I can feel safe to say that. And also, I love the way Bach separates this last line from the rest, because the, all the rest of the lines are about swimming in tears, and they're all a little bit disjunct, right? The Vivol happens a little separately. There are all these moments of strange leaps, v vol has a strange leap down you know starting on a weird high note and then finally like you said alex the word love is set with such beautiful loftiness and this last line is so peacefully stepping down 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 to the end it's such a wonderful example of the way baroque music can just set off with a bang and go and go and go, but then can yet still have such a satisfying, nice conclusion. Yeah. And then a nice little final finish by the oboes. They've been swimming and swimming in tears all along, but now they're finally slowing down all the way to the end. And so that is how this reaction to Jesus' words before it says, you've given me this flesh and blood in your last supper, and even though you're about to depart me, and we know you're going to have to go die, the saddest thing that could happen, you're doing this for us, and you don't wish us harm. You're in the world. You came into the world for us because you love us to the end. It's a really powerful message. That is so perfectly musically put by Bach here.
0: Yeah, and then you get, like you said, this sets up the aria that's also sung by the soprano. You get a really lovely personal message from her to Jesus. Uh, She says, I will give you my heart, sink within my heart, my Savior. I will sink into you, again, going with the sort of swimming metaphor, right? We can feel safe. And although the world is too small for you, you alone shall be for me more than heaven and earth. Nice poetry. Yeah. And of course, it rhymes in German. <laughs>
1: way the movements flow into each other in the saint matthew passion this is a perfect example of the brilliance of the way the text is constructed and
0: now here is the vivo soprano recitative in its entirety If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the St. Matthew Passion, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at AmomentofBach.com. We'd love it if you went on your podcast app and gave us a nice review. Thank you again to the listeners who have been with us for this little journey. We're going to keep going. Great. So Alex, what's next week? Next week, we're going to look at a cantata, BWV6, Bleib bei uns. And specifically, we're going to look at the second movement, which is
1: an alto aria. Until next time, enjoy those moments.